guys. Welcome to episode 42 of the Atlas Podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, editor-in-chief at Fanbolt.com. My name is Jakai Mickelson, contract graphic artist, designer, and also independent filmmaker, who uh, who smells nice. I just added that on at the end because I feel like I've been only doing my title for the last few episodes. <laughs> well, I think it's just an important thing to note since you normally record these in the closet. It's it's good to know that you, you smell good while in the closet. Well, it's very important. I am actually surrounded by a lot of clean laundry. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's spectacularly. It's, a, it's just a cornucopia of good smell. <laughs> Well, we have a uh, a pretty cool show today. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about The Little Mermaid, which was at the Fox last week, and it has moved on to its next location um, somewhere in the country. I'm not sure where it's actually playing now, but uh, I checked that out last week, so we're going to talk about that. Um, I actually went to ADACT, which is a uh, it's a design community here in Atlanta for their preview of their um, their designers that that have space in there, their winter collections. So that was kind of an interesting interior design um, a thing that I did, which was kind of out of the norm. Um, a couple of birthdays that I want to to mention. And then um, we're going to talk about, instead of doing a movie review this week, I fell in love with something and became obsessed with it recently. So we're going to talk about The OA, which is on Netflix. And then we've got some box office goodness and a press conference audio um, segment with the cast and producers of The Founder, which comes out this Friday, January 20th, and was actually filmed here in Georgia. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but that's our show for today, so uh, so let's dive in. All of that with an update on my current smell? This is shaping up to be a wonderful show. <laughs> Feel good about it. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> um, so yeah, I went to see The Little Mermaid um, last Thursday at the Fox. It's the, the Broadway uh, touring uh, version of, of the play, and it was it was a little weird. Oh, really? You're a big fan of the original cartoon, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm your your typical Disney nerd. There's not much that Disney's done that I've not loved in terms of the original movies, not when you get into the gazillion and one sequels that they've made that were <laughs> unnecessary for so many of these movies. <laughs> but um, I was a big fan of The Little Mermaid. Um, remembered loving that growing up and, and just being obsessed with, you know, pretending to be a mermaid when I was swimming in, in the pool or the ocean <laughs> when I was a kid. So, you know, it's close to home. But um, I love me some Sebastian. So I guess I guess a leading question for me is, was Sebastian like a guy wearing a costume or was it some kind of super awesome puppet? It was a guy wearing a costume. Was it was it um, an awesome costume? You know what? Sebastian was probably the best part of of the musical. It was uh, he was he was fantastic and his character was fantastic. He had great lines, great comedic timing. He was great. But wow. the rest of it <laughs> um, It's a very short list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean the costumes were great. Um uh some of the effects were kind of cool with trying to, you know, using a lot of aerial stuff to <laughs> aerial stuff to simulate. I see, um, I see what happened. You see there. what I did there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. To, to simulate being underwater and kind of swimming, you know, up to the surface and all of that. It was it was uh that part was cool. Some of the things that I, I had an issue with and I've I've been told that it's been greatly improved since it was on Broadway because apparently some of these issues were a little bit more um, um, bothersome to diehard fans when they saw it on Broadway. Um, but starting out, uh, the original songs are all there, but there's about 50% more songs that they wrote for this that just seems weird. And I don't know if it's because I'm like a little mermaid purist. Like I don't, I don't like it when new songs are added to things that are very nostalgic and I, I love so greatly. Right. Um, so I wasn't a fan of the new music and the thing that really, really bothered me was, um, all of the actors when they're under, under the sea, they are kind of swaying, continually swaying with all of their movements to kind of simulate, you right. know, the look of being underwater, but it kind of just looks like they're humping the air the entire time. <laughs> and it's a little weird. <laughs> well, one of the, my favorite things to do on stage 
weirdly is humping the air. Um, wait, so, but, but was like the background kind of moving with them or the background was static and they were all doing that move? Yeah, the background was static and they occasionally yeah. have, have other things that would, you know, simulate movement too, but it was just, it was very distracting. And especially when you had like a lot of characters on stage at one point or at any given point in the play that are all doing this motion, it's just like, what, what are you, why? This like, is the worst orgy I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Come on, get it's it together. Yeah. Totally unnecessary. I mean, it's they didn't need to do that. And and there was also and maybe it's unfair to kind of compare it to other Disney musicals. Uh, I feel like there's an element of epicness and grandness with, you know, plays like uh especially with like Lion King, but even Beauty and the Beast and uh Mary Poppins, which had some of the most incredible set design I've ever seen and and even Newsies, which I had a lot of problems with that Broadway play as well, because I was a diehard fan of that. But um, all of these plays had, uh, you felt like you were watching something truly magical. And I didn't get that feeling with Little Mermaid. And it was weird because everyone was very talented in terms of, you know, vocal performances. Right. Uh, but there was just something missing and I couldn't quite put my finger on it and maybe it's because I was so distracted by all the air humping I don't know but uh, it was good it wasn't great it was I was kind of I think my expectations were probably a little too high going into it well it's also a bummer because that's something that was super near and dear to your heart the original you know um, yeah years ago my wife and I saw uh, Shrek uh, when that was on tour we saw it in Los Angeles and I didn't know I mean, I know. I'm sorry, I'm going out of school grounds because Shrek is not a Disney film. But I, I, <laughs> I forgive I, you. <laughs> I, I, I wondered how it would be, but I honestly had a ton of fun with it. Like there was a super cool like dragon puppet, which I'm a nerd for. You know, like they they did a lot of stuff. I thought really cool. And actually, uh, that was the first time Mandy had ever seen it. So that was her first exposure to Shrek, and then afterwards she liked the movie even more. So I I don't know. It's interesting. I, I the, the air humping is a very bold choice. Um, it is. But it sounds like for you, it was distracting. I'm trying to picture, like, I, th I feel like there's a huge difference between swaying underwater and humping <laughs> underwater, you know? I, yeah. I, I'm trying to picture what the sway was. It was weird. That's, that's yeah. pretty much... Uh... Yeah, I don't know how else to describe it. Fair I'm enough. Just, Fair enough. Just weird. Um, so anyway, <laughs> moving right along, um, I also got to do something kind of cool uh, this last week, which I've, I've not really done anything like this before. Um, ADACT, which is here in Atlanta, it's a really cool um, community for designers and, and brands. Uh, basically what it is is it's this campus that consists of over um, half a million square foot with 60 showrooms. Um, that are offering roughly 1,200 of the industry's finest product lines, including furniture, fabric, rugs, lighting, accessory, floor, and wall coverings. Um, so basically everything you need for interior design awesomeness. And they were doing a preview of some of the the items that were part of you know these these various um, product lines winter collections. And it was really cool to be able to kind of go around and um, indulge a little bit in some of my HGTV vocabulary I got going on now. <laughs> and um, so that was that was a uh, that was a pretty cool event. And I'd never been to this place before. It's um, it's located in Buckhead. The campus is really impressive. If you you drive up to it, um, you're just kind of like, How, where did this come from? It's a really interesting building. It was built over 50 years ago by. Um, architect and developer John Portman, um, who's very, you know, uh, known and respected for, for his architectural work. Um, but it's something that, you know, it's, it's open to all interior designers, architects, trade professionals, and design enthusiasts. Um, so you just, anyone can go, you just have to, to sign in at the front desk and then you can kind of go around and look at the showrooms. Uh, but it was something cool that I didn't know was in Atlanta and it was really cool to be able to check it out and see some of the, the trends of, of what's kind of coming up. So, so it's all trends, but it's not like a, like a now go over here to buy the stuff. It's just like seriously take it all in and get ideas for your own space. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm sure they're trying to sell you their products and right. um, and all of that. But uh, for this particular, it was like a, a private preview where they were just oh. showing uh, what would be available. So I'm sure if I wanted to order something, I probably could have, uh, you know, pre-ordered it or ordered it. Um, but it's uh, a little bit out of my price range right now. Yeah, so. yeah, that's the thing. I was like, <laughs> oh, well, maybe uh, maybe Mandy and I can go check this out because we are, as you know, in the middle of an ongoing renovation. But I was like, maybe that would be a horrific idea. Well, I do think it would be costs. cool to go even just for, you know, getting inspiration and getting right. ideas and kind of seeing what your options are out there. Um, right. It's kind of um, in the building itself is just super, super cool. Um, so I recommend going just to kind of see that, but, um, it's, uh, it's just a really, it's a really cool space and all the showrooms are, they all looked awesome. They were closed when we were there for the event, but, uh, we kind of walked around a little bit and peered in some of the windows and it looked like a really cool space and you could probably get a lot of really cool ideas if you were working on a redesigning or furnishing your home. So Right, right. All right, well that's uh, that's actually really cool to know about. Way to yeah. uh, way to go outside of what is typically your space. I know. Yeah. I knew nothing about this space at all. <laughs> and, uh, I was just like I watch a lot of HGTV. <laughs> right. Well, I think that qualifies you. I think that totally you know? qualifies me. Yeah, yeah, totally. They also had um bacon wrap dates as one of the um appetizers at the party. So um, that was or at, the, at the preview event, so uh, it was pretty much one of my most favorite events ever. Okay, <laughs> because well. of the bacon wrap dates. There you go, and uh, and an alarming lack of people humping the air, which was probably both a bummer but also a victory overall. <laughs> True, well put. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the last thing I want to mention, um, two friends that are near and dear to me and also fans of our podcast, um, Mike and Danielle had their birthdays this last week and we celebrated both of them, um, over the weekend. Danielle did, uh, did her party at a, improv burlesque show which was a really interesting thing that i had never been to nor did i know what to expect speaking of air humping it's all coming yeah. full circle yeah it's magical. it really is yeah. there there was a lot of there was a lot of air humping in this last <laughs> week <laughs> um but it was a really cool event at a red light cafe and um it's they do a lot of burlesque shows there but uh the whole improv thing it was very a lot of the performances were very clever and very witty. There was one guy, there was a guy there. It wasn't just girls. Uh, there was a guy there, like, in characters, Deadpool. Um, my favorite, they had a character who was dressed as a sim. And from, of course, the sims. And um, so when, when she was doing um, her performance and, you know, gets down to the, the last kind of layer of things, her, her pasties are actually pixelations, nice. which is exactly how it is in the game. So it's, uh, it was funny and kind of, uh, it was nerdy too. So that was fun. And then, um, of course, Mike McKinney had his birthday on uh, Sunday at uh, Gate City Brewery up in Roswell, so I ventured OTP for the first time in a little while. Wow. wow. And uh, that was an absolute blast. They had um, like life-size Jenga there. Oh, Dad, I've done that. That is a blast. I That's need so much to fun. own that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I feel like my neighbors um, would probably hate me if I, like, purchased that, because when it falls, you hear it. Oh, yeah. Um, but, oh, my God, it's so much fun. I no, need it. It really is. I mean, it's just a stack of two-by-fours. We could go to Home Depot, get you juiced up for, like, 15 bucks. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was actually looking at how much it costs to just, like, buy it, and it's, like, 100 bucks if you want to buy it. So yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, I don't have, like, a saw and all of the things that I would need to to create life-size Chenka, but it's, I think it's in my future. Well, we've got, uh, we've got a wood saw all set up in the back because we've been working on our porch railing, so we could juice you up. <laughs> well, when I show up with a bunch of two-by-fours at your house and right. ask, we'll, we'll at least understand why. Said. Yeah, we'll have some there'll context. Be, there'll be what's context, going on. yes. Yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was my last week, so... Uh, what 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 do you do? Oh, that Anything sounds super cool? exciting! I you know I uh, I have um, I we well I'll tell you this we were just uh, Mandy was gone for five days so we had a baby without the baby's mother for those full five days. Oh so snap! She, so she was losing her mind being away from him, and I was losing my mind. I'm like, how am I going to sleep at all? And it actually, you know what? It it went well. 
So Aww. that's it. That's not, yeah, it's not particularly exciting. He's uh, this little kid, though. I mean, again, I've never been around babies, so this is my first this long of exposure to baby. It may as well be my own, but like watching him, like how fast he is moving and like now he's using his hands and now he's no longer just like touching things. He's actually playing and exploring. It's uh, really fun to watch. And Aww. weirdly with Mandy out of town, I focused a lot more on him. And I, I don't know. It was good. So, yeah. And then uh, and then him and I, to celebrate, we went outside and humped the air. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you guys got to have that, that male bonding moment. <laughs> it's, it's very important to my family. We have generations of air humping between, you know, it's, it's kind of our thing. I like just, it. I like it. I'm going to call that back at least 17,000 more times. I apologize oh, I like to all of our listeners. I can't I'm, grow up. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of interested to see uh, where else you managed to put that in. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, in the air, mostly. Uh, okay. So, anyways, sophisticated show. And uh, what uh, what delightful thing are we going to transition into from there? <laughs> the OA. Ah, uh, A-O. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so instead of watch movies this last week, I basically watched all of, of the show, the OA on Netflix at, uh, my boyfriend's suggestion. And it's a really amazing show. It's, I think it's interesting how Netflix, cause this is kind of the same approach that they had with stranger things where there was really no hype about it before. And then they just released it. And I remember over the holidays, you know, seeing a lot of people with their Facebook statuses saying they were watching the OA. Um, but I don't feel like it had the, uh, the, the kind of just huge fandom behind it that we saw with Stranger Things. Right. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen next. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about it because it's a, it's a really incredible show. Um, a, a little bit of background information on it. The series centers on Prairie Johnson, an adopted young woman who resurfaces after having been missing for seven years. Upon her return, Johnson calls herself the OA. She exhibits scars on her back and can see despite having been blind when she disappeared. The OA refuses to tell the FBI and her adoptive parents where she's been and how her eyesight was restored. Instead, quickly assembles a team of five locals to whom she reveals that information to and also explains her full background story. Finally, she asks for their help to save some other missing people who she claims are currently in the same situation that she had described to them. Um, Britt Maring is the, the lead actress in this and the co-creator of it. And if you're not familiar with her work, she's really incredible. The first exposure I had to her was a film several years ago called Another Earth, which also kind of deals with this idea of, you know, other dimensions or a parallel universe or, or whatever it may be in this kind of supernatural space. And it's just really, it's really smart and it's really well done. And what I really liked about this particular show is it's, it's kind of a, it's like genre shape shifting almost. It's like you start off with this kind of coming of age story and you go into this kind of supernatural, um, this whole other supernatural space with it. And then where you end is at least something that I didn't see coming at all. And, of course, there's a cliffhanger, and if there's not a season two, I'm going to be really, really upset. <laughs> They've not announced it yet. Um, but one thing I do think that Netflix has going for it is they're they're kind of on the frontier of storytelling, and they're not really canceling any of their shows, and they're taking a lot of chances. Um, so I have hope that we'll get a second season from it, and I'm interested to see where it goes. I watched a, a couple of interviews with uh, Britt Maring. Uh, before our podcast, and she was talking a little bit about how much time they spent into really thinking out this whole universe and, you know, kind of solving the bigger questions that the show poses in order to be able to tell that story in a way that really engages uh, the audience, which they've done a fabulous job with. But it is one of those things kind of um, where you get to the end of season one and you're in a place where you're like, well, how, like, there has to be more, but how can there be more? Um, hmm. So long story short, I'm obsessed with it and everyone should watch it. It's eight hours or eight episodes. The first episode, I think, is two hours. So um, nine hours, well worth it. It's very thought provoking <laughs> and it's it's just incredible. Nice. Nice. I uh, I'll admit that. Um, and I, I stumbled upon uh, Lemony Snicket's. 
on Netflix. Yeah, I haven't checked that one out yet. I watched the first episode and some of the second. It's difficult to find. Like, I can't binge like I used to with this pesky offspring of mine. But uh, <laughs> I'll admit, I, I actually really liked what it was doing. I like where it is so far. It's got a really quirky feel. Um, it had me laughing out loud quite a few times. So, man, Netflix just keeps them coming. Like, I feel like almost like overwhelmed by how much content. Like, I'll see Netflix's logo on. I'm like, how? How are they doing all this stuff? Yeah. Just so yeah. much stuff. And it's not like it's a lot of like small, like staged sitcoms. It's a lot of pretty epic kind of big stories, special effects, production. I, it's, it's, uh, and I think they just, I just saw that they, uh, they continue to grow. They had their most profitable thing ever. So yeah, Netflix, they're changing. They definitely changed the world. Remember when they first started streaming? You're like, who's going to watch this on their computer? It's dumb. And then <laughs> boom. And now most everyone I know is like, I don't need cable. I've got Netflix. And if I want to watch shows on cable, I'll just get Hulu. And everyone's kind of cutting the cord. And, you know, I'm not there yet because HGTV. (laughs) It's so funny. The only reason I'm not there, and even that's starting to come around, is because of my NBA basketball addiction. That's the only reason. But but to Xfinity, like I saw, now all of a sudden you can get Netflix on Xfinity, um, which was probably a pretty smart play. For for them at Comcast to get people right. like, for some reason I refuse to enter my Netflix account into my Xfinity box. I don't know. I I just want to keep that separation. I don't want them getting each other dirty. <laughs> it's very strange. Don't want Comcast to know too much about you, especially if they are your internet provider too, and oh, they wow. know everything you watch. And basically, they're like their big brother. They know everything you do. Uh, yeah, and of course. Well, between them and Google and Facebook. Yep. Twitter. Who doesn't really know everything about me? And now this damn show, everybody knows I'm recording it from a closet. It's just overwhelming. It is. And everyone yep. now knows how much you love air humping. Oh, nice work. Way to bring it <laughs> way to bring it around. That's point Emma. Thank you. I'll take it. I'll yeah. take it. <laughs> um but even though we're not doing like a, a full traditional Atlas review for this, I am gonna give it a full Atlas. So oh, great. You circled yeah. around, gave it a full atlas. Well, uh, I am, I am uh, based on what you said, I'm very curious about it. I feel like I'm going to try. I think uh, typically when I watch a Netflix show, it's a pretty fast burn. I've, yeah. been, I've been kind of slow chewing through Lemony. Uh, so now, though, I've got like something to watch after I get through Lemony. Yeah, this and this is, uh, I mean, anyone that loves a show that leaves them with a lot of questions, anything in kind of the vein of, you know, Lost or Leftovers or anything that kind of asks some bigger, bigger questions and doesn't really give you answers. Um, Not that that's like, you know, I mean, it's aggravating, but it's also it's really thought provoking and it it leaves you with a a lot of interesting conversations to have with whoever you're watching it with. So um, definitely worth checking out. And hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to say there's a second season at some point. Does the OA have to ask this from the outside looking in? Does it fall on the flashback sword? Um. It's not really flashbacks. Um, they do. She is telling the story of what all happened to her in her childhood. So you okay. do see that. So, uh, me, but it's it's all a part of the narrative. It's not really like a. It's not a flashback in the sense of how Lost did flashbacks. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I accept no. your terms for a full atlas. Then. <laughs> Well, good, good. I uh, I look forward to um, holding that one over your head until you watch it, because that's that's how we do things now. <laughs> we're, we're we're very competitive here. At the we are. Yeah. And um, speaking uh, speaking of things that you have to see, and I feel like you probably haven't. Let's talk about La La Land. <laughs> uh, I it's true. I have not seen it, but well, totally. I'm totally gonna. It's just that okay. things keep happening. Mandy was out of town. I can't go see La La Land without her. That's right? true. That'd be okay. that's a date night movie. Yeah, yeah. It'd be kind of weird just me and my dad and my son go see La La Land. That's <laughs> that's strange. <laughs> I was just picturing that, and you all like going to the theater and like air humping and watching. What? Like, Whoa. That was just a really weird picture that entered my head. <laughs> I don't know. It all okay. comes together. All right. What if we're air humping to the rhythm of, rhythm of the music? And, you know, oh my god! It's so disturbing. Plenty of space between us. Yes. Right? So it's not yes. weird. It's just an interpretive dance that we happen to call air humping. <laughs> right. Listeners, grow up. All right. 
Oh my god, I love it. Um, but speaking of La La Land, I I made this bet, which I think I'm gonna lose because I tend to lose most bets that I make. Oh no! Because I'm always rooting for like the the underdog, and um, I said that I thought La La Land would end up at number one um, here in the near future. Um, because it's being released in more theaters and all of the awards season buzz. And um, Mike McKinney was like, I'll get you a, you know, a, a box of a Shiner if it, uh, if it does win. And I was like, yeah, I'll take that bet. Um, I don't think it's going to win. So it came in second this past weekend. Uh, six million behind Hidden Figures, which came in first. Hidden Figures brought in 20.4 million and La La Land brought in, um, Fourteen point five million. So well, so you think it's over? You don't think La La Land has a chance? Because Hidden Figures, um, everything I've read about it has been really high marks. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, it's not like I, La La Land is losing out to like. No, I don't know, like and, like monster trucks. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I do think that we're kind of at the. I think if it was going to happen, it was probably going to happen this weekend because we do have a lot of films that are coming out um, this Friday. Um, XXX Return of Xander Cage, which I don't think is going to be a good movie, but I think people are going to go see it. Do you really think um, people are going to go see that? If that, okay, I, I'll make, I'll bet you that movie does not pre- premiere at number one. No one cares about that movie. I don't think it'll premiere at number one either, but I think it's going to, there's enough films that are coming out. The new M. Night Shyamalan movie, Split, um, 20th Century Women's going into wide release, The Founder. There's enough new films coming into play this weekend that I don't think okay. La La Land will hit one. Well, I venture to say that Hidden Figures will probably stay in one again. I may be wrong. It may, I don't know. I all of my predictions are wrong at this point. Now it's. <laughs> uh, I know, I know, um, but I'm still holding out hope because I I think that La La Land should be in first. Um, it did open in an additional 333 theaters, including a special IMAX run. Um, the musical has made 74 million uh, to date, and it's in its sixth week of release. So it's pretty impressive. It only cost, um, you know, in the 30, 30 million, I think it was, to make. So uh, it's uh, it's done well for itself. And there's talk about seeing that on Broadway, which I, I knew that was going to come. And I actually did win that bet, considering <laughs> considering on, on how quickly it hits Broadway. I, had, I made a bet that it was going to be within three years, and someone else bet me five years. So as long as it happens in three years, you know, I'm, I'm going long long game now. So yeah, Apparently so. This, You're like, oh, this, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, guess I, I, I pay off my debts in incrementals. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I don't. Uh, I don't know how long it takes to transition a film to Broadway, but uh, that's a, a journey I will follow with this one. Um, <laughs> but back to the the box office results. Uh, Seeing fell to third place with thirteen point eight million. Rogue One still holding on in the top five comes in at fourth, and the new supernatural thriller, which I heard was absolutely horrible, The Bye Bye Man, <laughs> opened in fifth with thirteen point three million. Um, but you know what? That's considered a success because its production budget was only seven point four million. So it's one of those horror films that uh, we're probably going to see more of, just because it's such a small budget and it more than doubled it. So a lot of filmmakers get their start making those flicks. Yep, yep. Um, we did also have uh, two new releases that flopped over the weekend. Uh, you mentioned one of them, Monster Trucks. It opened in seventh. Uh, seventh with ten point five million, and I heard that the budget for that, and I'm sure I'm sure Mike will uh, chime in with this because I didn't see it on the uh, the chart that I was I was looking at for all these numbers, but I heard it was some insane budget, like a hundred million dollars to make it, and it opened with ten point five million, which still considering what the trailer looked like <laughs> seems like well, too much <laughs> but <laughs> i'll admit openly that what was the what was the last movie i saw the last time i was at theater i saw a big old poster for that thing mm-hmm. and i was like ah damn it that's pretty smart because if i'm a kid i had like this this infatuation with bigfoot the truck you know so i was like mm-hmm. oh man that's probably gonna make a lot of money with the kids but then i saw the trailer and and learned that it was like a monster that lives inside of the truck Instead of the truck, like, somehow being alive. And I was like, oh, that it was weird. I was instantly not into it anymore. Like, the kid in me lost interest. And I don't know why that would be. But I, yeah. So I I realize I'm now analyzing 
monster trucks, <laughs> but it's part of the what I bring. <laughs> is that I kind like of it. deep analyzation? Um, but yeah, I, I, it's you know, I'm not surprised it it bombed. But I, like again, when I saw that poster, I'm like, oh, that's going to do great for kids. Yeah, Apparently yeah, not. not so great. I don't know. Um, again, we'll talk a little bit about the the budget with that one next week. But uh, I don't know how you approve a budget so massive for a movie that looks so bad. Um, well, I, it's, it's, I, and doesn't have any really big stars in it that are going to, you know, it's a, I don't know. Well, meanwhile, I, this this might go off track a little bit, but what is the worst Pixar film of all time? Even the worst Pixar film of all time is, like, better than the average no, movie, no, though. No, but I'm, try, I'm trying to make it, this is a, this is a very high-reaching point that I'm making, and it's, it's going to land, it's going to be amazing. The worst Pixar <laughs> film ever made. Oh, my God. I'm just trying to think of one I didn't like a lot, um, or like as much as the other ones. I'll fill. I'll fill in the. I'll fill in the blank for you. It was. Okay. It was. It was Cars Two, and that movie still made a trillion okay. dollars because kids yeah. love cars. So yeah. I, I can understand from the outside looking in why hell there's a Cars Three coming out. Now to be fair, there's like a Cars Land at Disneyland, which helps perpetuate it, and that you know they keep using those characters. But right. uh, you know I understand why I got that kind of budget. Like I said, I saw the poster. I'm like, ah, so smart. It's a truck that's a monster that somebody gets to drive. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe it's just lost on me. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's because I'm a I'm a boy. Maybe that's part of it. Well, you know what? I had the the toy cars and all when I was a little kid too. Like I, I made little streets with little popsicle sticks and drove my little toy cars around them and made little neighborhoods. <laughs> first, and, uh, first of all, they're called hot wheels. Second of all, <laughs> they're not little streets. They're called tracks and they have loop de loops. Okay. Well, I didn't have those. Okay. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but one other one we should probably mention because it's, uh, also done really poorly. Uh, Martin Scorsese's latest film, Silence, went into wide release in its uh, fourth week of, of being out in limited release. And uh, the production budget for this was $40 million, and the film, to date, has only grossed $3 million. Wow. And it went into wide release, sitting at 16th on the box office charts for the weekend, and is in 747 theaters across the country, which, granted, isn't many, but still, for a Martin Scorsese film with that large of a budget to have only be at $3 million in its fourth week of release, it's, that's pretty bad. Well, to be fair to Scorsese, in recent history, that guy has been the golden child. I mean, eventually, yeah. you know, you're due to have... Uh, how, how is the film being reviewed? Well, you know, it's a contender for a lot of stuff with award season. I mean, we're still, you know, it's it's got hype around it. I haven't seen huh. it. Um, I heard it was a very very long movie, um, so I can't really speak to the to the quality of it. But I think it's almost three hours, which is a long movie. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know I. I don't know if it's a lack of people being able to see it in their theaters, but I also don't think that it's had really great publicity either. I haven't seen yeah. a lot of commercials or, you know, advertisements or anything for it. So maybe it'll pull a Shawshank. Shawshank tanked, did horribly. One of the most beloved films of all time. Well, we'll we'll see. My my bet is no. Oh, but I, I think I'm you're always right. wrong. But you're always. <laughs> what I love about you is you're always willing to bet. So <laughs> I am. I, I don't know why you think I'd learn. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's interesting. Yeah, but I, I can't. It's weird. Scorsese. I'm like, I, I can't be like, oh, now I will say this. Owning it completely because I obviously hold a grudge against one specific man. Let's say just throwing a random name. It's not a random name at all. If uh, my Transformers friend, Mr. Blow Everything Up, buddy, you Michael know who Bay? I'm talking about. If Michael Bay had a film that bombed, oh, I would love it. And just talking about how finally he got his just desserts, Scorsese, I'm like, well, I mean, look at his track record. The guy's yeah. still doing really strong work, as old as he is, so. Yeah, he's an incredible filmmaker. You definitely can't argue that. He even did a kid movie, and that went well. So, credit what credit's due. Yep. Okay, yep. sorry. I, but yeah, that's a, that's a bummer. 
It's not, uh, but he'll probably be okay. I think he'll be all right. Actually, what's, I think the bigger surprise is Spielberg's huge bomb with the BFG. Out yeah, of the two, you know, what did I, you say? I still haven't seen that one, but I heard it was, I heard it was stunning. And of course, part of that, that film was shot on Isle of Skye, which I was at last June and the, just the environment in which they, they shot in and, and how beautiful the, you know, everything I saw for that film looked, it's, I, I don't know what happened with that one. So it's, it's, uh, everybody, you know, I don't know. Let's, uh, this is true. This I'd, is like, true. I'd like to, I would still like to watch this film. It's, it's got, it's got a 7.7 trending on IMDb for whatever that's worth. The Scorsese film. So there's that. There's that. All right. Well, moving right along, um, coming out this Friday is The Founder. It's going into uh, to wide release, and of course, that shot here in Georgia. And if you're not familiar with it, it is a biographical drama film directed by John Lee Hancock and written by Robert Siegel. And it stars Michael Keaton as Ray Kroc and portrays the story of his acquisition of the McDonald's fast food chain. Nick Offerman and John Carroll Lynch also co-star as McDonald's founders Richard and Maurice McDonald. So uh, we have a interview clip from the, the press conference with the cast and producers of the film, and we'll play that for you guys now. Uh, enjoy this with some French fries. So I want to start at the beginning uh, with the story of the founder, because I think we can all admit that McDonald's has touched all of our lives in some way. Um, so for the producers, I'm curious, how did the story of Ray Kroc find its way to you, and, and what made you initially see it as a movie? Um, well, uh, about 12 years ago, I heard a song by Mark Knopfler called Boom Like That, and I was fascinated by the song. And I remembered as a kid this sort of being in McDonald's with, with one of my family members and seeing this bronze plaque that said Ray Kroc, founder of McDonald's. And there was just a cognitive dissonance that sort of stood with me, like how did a Ray Kroc create McDonald's? And I heard this song. Jeremy and I had started our company, and we had a conversation about it because I tried to option some books, and when we called uh, the publisher – the publisher basically said, call McDonald's. Like, McDonald's had purchased the rights to these books and I think buried the authors in cement. Um, so, we, we, Jeremy's like, this is a great idea. We've got to find a way to do it. And I was Googling late one night and found uh, that they had, in, when they left McDonald's, they were going to start a motel chain like Motel 6 that was going to way ahead of its time, like 20 years ahead of its time. So, they actually had a piece of a motel in Massachusetts. I called the motel, said, hey, my name's Don Hanfield and I'm producing part of Jeremy Renner. Want to do a movie about McDonald's? Do they own a piece of this motel? And they're like, he's like, yeah, they do. Is the night manager or something? He's like, I'll take your name and number, and I'll, I'll get uh, see if they'll get back to you. And a, a day or two later, uh, Jason French called me back and said, um, we've been waiting 50 years for someone to call and tell our story, and you know, you're the first one who's found us. And you know, he was just really excited and gracious, and that really just unlocked a treasure trove of information that they had. They had archival letters, uh, dictaphone recordings of the Croc family talk, of Ray Croc talking to the McDonald's brothers and them sending that back and forth, and it just kind of launched from there. And for the uh, other producers, I'm curious, even before, you know, you got this trove of information from, from the French brothers, um, what made you see this as a movie, and what did you think the story would be? Well... You know, for for our own part, when Don and Jeremy brought the the idea over to us at Film Nation, we all kind of like had this meeting. We were thinking, why is the founder of McDonald's named Croc? And it, like that always kind of there's a question, and the movie obviously answers it. But um, you know, you think about something that is a, a large branding like McDonald's, and that's a big leap up when you're, you're creating that that pre-existing awareness and. You know, as a producer, that's enticing. And, uh, and it's just one of those, it's a, it's a movie about America. And it feels like a movie about capitalism. And, you know, as uh, John Lee Hancock says, it's, you know, kind of like Death of a Salesman with a very different ending. <laughs> a happy ending, I guess? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeremy, what about for you? Uh, yeah, to me it was, you know, for me, like... It was a movie that was already kind of the story's already told itself, and I always look for, especially with Don, like what is the <clears throat> the world that this story is told in? I feel like we tell the same sort of Greek mythological stories over and over again, and I think this is definitely one of them. But the world is really interesting, and it's a world that we already know. It's you know, it's McDonald's. It's kind of emblazoned all across the world, and so that made it kind of okay. This needs to be on the big screen, and then I also had I love stories where there's a lot of gray. And uh, this couldn't be more gray in this movie when you have a hero that's flawed 
which I love. And then you have an anti-heroes that are, you find sympathy or you understand or you, the, the reasons for their doing. So there's a lot of gray within that. It's not just black and white. And, and also to, um, our, to our writer and our, and our directors, uh, what they've done with not force-feeding any sort of particular value or moral um, or righteousness onto the audience. It just kind of spells it out. It's like then you can kind of choose what you think about capitalism and morality and capitalism. And, uh, that grayness is just sexy to me. I love it. <laughs> and I, I'm sorry, but I have to ask because you're a pretty good actor. Um, so when you uh, find a project like this, I mean, was it always going to be just as a producer? Was there a time you considered taking a role in it? Well, I mean, I always consider playing every role in everything, you know. <laughs> but but I never, you know, considered the sense of me actually doing it. Um, as far as like developing each character, and you want every character to be strong and not just be a device to tell the story. Um, and that's sort of my kind of my part creatively in in the actual the output of the movie. I can't, I can't. That there's guys that are much better at that stuff than I am. Look at what we have here at this table, and um, so yeah. I'm so glad, well, glad we got the guys we got. Uh, so, Jason, I'm surprised to hear that you hadn't gotten calls like these before. I mean, had your family, you'd never been approached over the years about telling a story about the McDonald's? We had been approached by people who were interested in writing books, but no one that was ever interested in doing a movie. Mm. So the, the thought of actually getting the real story of McDonald's out on the big screen was something that was extremely enticing. And Jason and Corey, I mean, how involved were you guys? Did you go down to the set? Was it surreal to see? I mean, I think you can all see how much he looks like Nick. <laughs> it's, it's a little crazy. Uh, we did have a chance. We brought the whole family to visit the set. And it was, it was surreal to actually see a movie being made. It's, and to be involved with a project is just something we just could never imagine. Uh, are you guys in the movie at all? I feel like I heard maybe no. you made a cameo or something. No. No. Well, well no, that's... no cameo. <laughs> a, a smarter producer would have thought of that. <laughs> and so, where did you begin? Was it, the, was it? Did you go to Robert to write the script, or did John come on board first? Or? <clears throat> uh, we've we went. We actually uh, heard some pitch. Once we we did sort of a graphical pitch book that kind of told the story that kind of helped uh, entice agents and writers. And we heard uh, pitches from a bunch of writers. And and what was great about Rob Siegel, other than us being big fans of his work, was he. A lot of people pitched just. A certain POV of the McDonald's Brothers and then Croc comes in and what Rob pitched that was really unique was Croc but if from the McDonald's Brothers POV um, so it's sort of that character's journey but from the perspective and the story that the McDonald's Brothers experienced and that just really kind of sparked us and uh, and then he, he came up with a great pitch and and from there we connected with Film Nation and, and we, we had another project with Film Nation we think they're just great to work with and you know, the best in the business. And we, from there, we, once we had a script, we, got, we were lucky to get John Lee Hancock and Michael Keaton. So, Robert, um, where, how did you come up with that idea for the pitch? I mean, you looked at the story and coming up with the idea to tell it's the story of Ray Kroc, but through the McDonald's brothers' eyes to some extent, did that just hit you upon reading about it? Well, I, I think this, this is a little awkward to say with uh, the... Um, uh, the grandchildren of uh, the brothers right here, but I just thought I just thought most of the pitches. I, if, correct me if I'm wrong, Don, but I, I think most of the pitches were told really from with the McDonald brothers as the lead characters. And what I what I pitched was uh, was um, I, I just thought it should be told from the perspective, not, not from the perspective, but I thought Ray Kroc was our lead character. I just thought he was um, uh, just a far seemed like a far darker. It's a much better idea. I think. <laughs> well, you know, oh, I, I mean, the, the models, when you look at movies like, you know, um, I don't mean to compare this to Citizen Kane. I actually think Citizen Kane is a better movie. No, <laughs> that's not a knock again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you look at Charles Foster Kane and um, in, in There Will Be Blood, Daniel Plainview, the Daniel Lee Lewis character, uh, Social Network. They're all told from the perspective of... Uh, the bad guy, and I just I just think that makes for a more interesting movie um, than than people who are as you know kind and bright and wonderful as uh, as their grandfather. So I, I yeah I just thought that was the that was the more interesting take. 
And did you see him as a bad guy? I mean, I guess it's a little more complex than that. Yeah, I, I you know, and I, every time I watch it, I still don't. There, there are times I've watched the movie probably six times, seven times now, and there are, there are times I watch it. I guess it depends on my mood. Sometimes when I watch it, I hate him, and sometimes I wa I watch it and I I totally get why he did what he did. So I still actually, having written it and seen it many times, still don't quite know how to feel about him. <laughs> I do really want to see this movie. Um, I actually do I, too. I heard about it a long time ago. I'm like, oh, Keaton, nice. Yeah, yeah, he's a great actor, and the cast as a whole. Um, Nick Offerman, I of course have loved and will yes. always love because of his character on Parks and Rec. Um, John Carroll Lynch, who I got the opportunity to to interview a couple of months ago for his work on American Horror Story. Um, Linda Carnelli, Patrick Wilson, uh, B.J. Novak, Laura Dern. It's just such a amazing cast so uh it's supposed to be good it has a lot of award show buzz around it too because it uh you know it wasn't limited release last year so it is a contender for for all of the award season stuff that we we have going on now and coming up with the oscars so yeah it's uh definitely i think one worth checking out especially if you you want to support georgia film that's a uh, it's a good angle and just for the record uh it's averaging a 7.3 on imdb which is nice. four, four less than the Scorsese film. So, well, there you go. Just a lot of confusing messages we're sending people. <laughs> I'm looking at some fun kind of notes on the film. Um, the filming actually began, or principal photography for the film began in Noonan, Georgia, June 1st of 2015, in an old style uh, McDonald's set with the golden arches was actually constructed um, in downtown Douglasville, Georgia, in uh, June 2015 when they started filming. So some fun local filming facts. Did they leave it up and actually turn it into a McDonald's? That would have been cool. Yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that. Wikipedia doesn't tell me that. <laughs> they should have they should have made it and then made it a vegan restaurant just to confuse the heck out of people. <laughs> that would be hysterical. I would love that. <laughs> and, you, and you know what they should have called that vegan restaurant? What? Air humps. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. That's like the I worst even... callback ever. But it's still got a <laughs> laugh. Yeah. I just I love that I doubted how you were going to keep bringing it up, and somehow we managed to just keep doing it. That's yeah. fantastic. Air humps. It's our new Angus. <laughs> um, let's see. There was... Nope, that's it. That's all I had for this week. Um, we do have some cool stuff coming up. I'm actually um, in talks to do a set visit with NBC for one of their new shows. I'm knocking on wood to not jinx that yet because these set visits tend to get moved around so so frequently and, and last minute. So hopefully I'll be able to attend it. Um, but we should have some really cool interviews coming out of that one. And most importantly... Project Cosplay this Thursday night at Joystick Game Bar. It's going to be awesome, even though Underworld the movie wasn't this last one, Blood Wars. Um, but it's going to be a bloody war between me, Matt Rodriguez, and Dan Carroll for Best Designer this month because we're flipping what we're doing and our judges, that our, our people that are normally judges are going to be designers and our normal designers are going to be judges. So it's going to be a hot mess. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I've actually never seen an Underworld film. <laughs> so... <laughs> I and I I don't have time to watch one before Thursday, so we're gonna see what happens. Well, I uh, as I threatened before, I am still one hundred percent gonna be there. So I'm holding you to it. I know. So. Yeah, you should. You should. <laughs> I look forward to it. It should be a good night, and of course, uh, we'll have some other cool stuff coming up. Uh, we have the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival is starting on the twenty fourth. Tickets go and sell on the 18th, which is tomorrow, or if you're listening to this the day it's released, it is today. Um, <laughs> so be sure to grab the tickets uh, while they're still available. All of these screenings tend to sell out, so it's definitely something that you should grab your tickets for early if you want to check out some of the films. Opening night's going to be a really incredible film, and that one will probably, I would suspect, be the first one to, to sell out. It's uh it's going to be pretty great. So you can check that out online at uh, Atlanta Jewish Film Festival's website. And that is all I have for this week. Well, uh, speaking of Jewish and filmmakers, I have one final question before we shut this thing down. Shoot. Are the Falcons going to the Super Bowl? I think they are. Really? You think the Falcons yeah. are going to beat 
Green Bay Packers I in the do. very last game at the Georgia Dome. I do. I do. And this is funny because I should have mentioned this in, in our whole talking about what we did the last week. I actually went to a bar, um, not on my own free will. I went with my, my boyfriend and a couple of friends and watched the game. Um, <laughs> so sports. I watched a, a sports. sports game. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I watched a football game um well, I mean, I've been to two football games, and I've watched a handful of various sporting events. I like that you're qualifying the story. Like, I know. Yeah. You're like, oh, I, mean, I mean, I know what a football is. I've been is. to sports. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what sports are. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think they played a really good game from, from what I can tell and what I heard other people say. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I I think um, I was actually on the, the way to the gym this morning. They were talking about how a lot of the analysts are predicting that it's going to be the Falcons. And I always like to root for the underdog. And I still think, based on the Falcons' history with the Super Bowl, that we are the underdogs. Yeah. Um, so I'm still... I'm still on that boat, but I, I think we have a great chance. And, like, what better way to, to close out the Dome than to, to win that game and have that be the last game ever played in the Dome? That would be perfect. If we lose, it's going to be really sad. Well, I, either way, they, they weren't even supposed to be there, I guess. I mean, and, and to be fair to you, I'm totally talking out of left field. All my friends make fun of me because I'm, like, more of a – I know basketball way better than I know pro football. So – but and so I'm recycling a lot of stuff people say too. But uh, uh, I'm very excited and very optimistic for Georgia Dome to end with a bang. And frankly, I'm excited to be in Castleberry Hill while yeah. all that is going down. I was saying to, I realized that while we lived there, even though the whole neighborhood turns into like a you know a tailgate party, like yeah. the likes of which does not happen in Southern California, not even remotely. So the whole neighborhood <laughs> where we used to live, we just turned to this crazy party. And I realized, holy crap, there was never a playoff game while we lived there. So I'm curious to see if it's next level, especially when that particular game is for the Super Bowl. It's going to be, I, I feel like it's going to be a pretty big once in a lifetime scene, especially when you add on to it, the finale for the Georgia, ah, before the Georgia Dome. So yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, I'll be down there too. I'm planning. Uh, we have a, a mutual friend who's who's doing something in the neighborhood, so I'll uh, Boom, I'll be down there for it. Yeah, It'll, it should be fun. So yeah. I can watch another sports game. I I I, I think you're doing a great job. <laughs> Thanks. I'm a sports fan now. <laughs> Go <laughs> sports. Sound? Yeah. Go sports. Yeah. <laughs> but I do. I I do love. Um, you know, team team things where you can get behind and, and cheer something, even if you have no idea what's going on. So that's what I will be doing. Nice. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you're on the Falcon side, Emma. I am. Yep. Yeah. They've got me. <laughs> nice. They've got they've got a lot more people <laughs> than just me. They'll that's be true. fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, that's our show for this week. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Again, my name is Emma Loggins, editor-in-chief at fanbolt.com. My name is Jakai Mickelson, graphic, graph, graphic, design, very drunk right now. It's, it's, <laughs> I, my, I have, uh, I'm lightheaded because of all the air humping I've been doing. That was the finale, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, an independent filmmaker. That's my official outro this week. Awesome. We will talk to you guys next week. 